0: Hello my name is Joanna Bailey
1: and I'm Lucas Souza.
0: Welcome to a brand new episode of the Simple Flying podcast where we'll give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. Here's what we've got for you this week.
1: Coming up today, Joe is going to see who won the manufacturer race in 2022, while I see which U.S. airline is offering free and fast Wi-Fi to its passengers.
0: I'll see why the U.S. airspace system is melting down this morning, while Lucas will look at flight disruptions in the USA in more detail.
1: And finally, Joe will tell us about NASA's new airplane edition.
0: So now you know what's in store, let's get on with the show. And first of all, I'd like to welcome Lucas to the podcast. Um, You've heard his voice before. He is Simple Flying's U.S. lead journalist and uh, standing in for Tom today and doing a very good job as well. Thank you for joining us, Lucas.
1: Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: No worries. So last week, I looked at some of the best performing airlines um, over the course of 2022. We looked at on-time performance data and the safest airlines that were flying last year. Um, but of course, it wouldn't be the end of the year if we didn't look at the comparison between the two big aerospace manufacturers. And with both OEMs having released full, data, full year data um, just in the last couple of days about their orders and deliveries, why not? Let's put them head to head and see which one 1, 2022. So for Boeing, the US giant's report showed that it delivered a total of 480 aircraft last year. That's a good uptick because that was... Um compared to 340 in 2021. So it was a 41% increase. And actually, Boeing's busiest year for deliveries since 2018, when it shipped out a massive 806 commercial aircraft. Of course, the 737 was the dominant family. Um, 387 of the 480 deliveries, um, or 81%, were those sorts of aircraft. Um, Airbus, on the other hand, managed some more than that. 661 deliveries across the course of 2022. Of course, this saw it fall short of its planned 700 aircraft target. But we said weeks ago, that was rather ambitious. And it still represented an 8% year on year increase compared to 2021. It put it comfortably ahead of Boeing. And of course, Again, narrow bodies were the key component. 516 of the 661 deliveries, or 78%, were the A320 family of jets. Um, but what about the orders? Well, Boeing had a good year. They racked up a gross total of 935 orders. Um, but when accounting for cancellations and conversions, that fell to a net total of 774. Meanwhile, Airbus managed 1,078 gross orders, with a final net figure of 820. Um, on the conference call yesterday Airbus's CCO Christian Scherer said that the cancellations were in line with previous years and largely anticipated so you know this is kind of normal stuff Um, they, they bag a load of orders and then some of the airlines cancel or change to other types so nothing to worry about there but Despite both Boeing and Airbus having improved on their 2021 performance last year, there were some significant challenges for the pair, as well as for the industry overall. Um, for example, the war in Ukraine, ongoing COVID restrictions, energy supply issues, inflation, constrained labour markets. I mean, the list goes on. It's not been an easy year for aviation at all. So, to achieve what they have achieved, I think, is pretty good. Um on an individual level though, one of the biggest challenges Boeing's faced in the last year is the ongoing uh, pause on the Boeing 787 deliveries. This started in May, 2021, um, with concerns over the quality control issues on the Dreamliner production line. Deliveries did resume in August and 31 were shipped out by the end of 2022. But there are still some hiccups in the production line. It's still not performing to the max. So we will see how that plays out in the year to come. Um, Airbus, of course, has had its own issues. Um, There's an ongoing trial with Qatar Airways, which I'm sure our listeners are all very well aware of, um, regarding surface degradation on the A350 it arose in January 2021. It was just cracks on a single plane, but has since spiralled into a much larger case. Um, so there's been order cancellations and there's a trial set to begin in June. We certainly haven't heard the last of that particular issue. So in case you missed it, who won? Well, Airbus did in both orders and deliveries. Its deliveries were 38% higher than those of Boeing. And it also beat the US manufacturer in terms of net orders by a margin of 6%. But but nevertheless, Boeing is confident on their conference call, Boeing Commercial Airplanes president and CEO Stan Deal said that as the industry expands its recovery, we're seeing strong demand across our product family. We will stay focused on driving stability within our operations and the supply chain as we work to deliver for our customers in 2023 and beyond. So strong words, you know, they always stay very positive at Boeing. Let's hope 2023 is good for them. Um perhaps 2022 wasn't quite the the challenge charging back to normality that both manufacturers would have wanted. But it's definitely an improvement over 2021. And I think if we don't see any further kind of global disruptions, (laughs) maybe 2023 will be a good year all round. Um, What do you think, Lucas? Do you think Boeing will pull it out the bag to beat Airbus this year?
1: You know, to be honest with you, I'm really hoping that they do. I actually have a graph pulled up in front of me right now that I saw on Twitter yesterday. It's made by Mark Nolan of the Seattle all times. And it's the comparison of Boeing and Airbus deliveries since 2001. And you've got a graph that starts off in 2001 with Boeing way ahead of Airbus, then the competition tightens. And then after the unfortunate two incidents with the MAX aircraft back in 20, oh, I'm forgetting, I believe it was 2018 that the incidents 18 happened. 18 and, and then then 19, grounded. I think. Yeah. Uh, the gap significantly increases. If you look at 2019, Airbus delivered 863 aircraft, and Boeing only had 380. And competition is good for any business and uh, in any industry worldwide. So I'm hoping that Boeing does get back up there this year. I know they ended the year on a positive note with United Airlines' massive wide-body order. Mm. Uh, I happened to be at the factory just about a month ago now. And uh, they hosted an event which I thought was just going to be for media, maybe some United staff. But I think all of the staff at the final assembly of the 787 in Charleston were able to take some time off work. And they were all celebrating. And it just seemed like a very positive spirit in the room. So I do hope that uh, Boeing does get back up there this year. And let's see what what continues to happen with the 777X.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Going on. Uh, Later this month, it'll actually be two years since the 777X took its first flight. So uh, it's it's kind of been a long time. It's like we need an update now and, and we want to see some movement on this. But uh, I think once they start pushing those out of the door, maybe things will start to swing back in their favor. Um, although Brilliant. then we've got the XLR coming along, but we'll wait and see what happens in 2023.
1: Yes, we've got a long road ahead. We're just on the 11th day of the year.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, tell me about some um, fast and free Wi-Fi for passengers.
1: Yeah, so that's exciting. Last week at the Co- Consumer Electronics Show in Vegas, which happens yearly in January, uh, Delta CEO Ed Bastian made a pretty big announcement, which most people knew was going to come at some point because the airline had already unveiled its plans to offer free Wi-Fi for all of its passengers. But last week. Ed confirmed that starting on February 1st, just a couple of weeks away, free and fast Wi-Fi is going to be available on 80% of Delta's fleet, which is very exciting for those loyal Delta customers and those in the U.S. who aren't loyal to any airline and are looking for a reason to switch over to another one. Mm. Uh, The Internet is going to be powered by Viasat and T-Mobile, both our partners of Delta. Previously, Delta had an exclusive partnership with GoGo as its uh, internet provider. But when they started testing uh, multiple devices connected to the internet, they just realized that GoGo's equipment wouldn't be able to cut it. So they switched to Viasat and have have been performing tests for quite some time and are now ready to enroll uh, the Wi-Fi on 80% of the aircraft. Now, the rest of its regional and international aircraft will be included by 2024, so not too far away. It was not specified what month, but that is next year, so 80% is already a very large number, and I'm assuming that in increments, they will reach that 100%. The cool thing is, Wi-Fi is gonna be offered not only for free, but on an unlimited amount of devices, which Mm. is not something you see very often. I myself have a United monthly Wi-Fi subscription, which only gives me access to one device. If I'm on my cell phone and I need to switch over to my laptop, I have to log in, perform a device switch, and so delta is actually saying you know what no log on as many times as you want provided that you are a sky miles member that's their uh loyalty program their free frequent flyer program signing up is free and they will allow passengers to connect to the wi-fi and sign up if they are not already members if they choose not to share their information with delta and not become a sky miles member they are able to pay a flat rate of ten dollars on it should be domestic flights in order to access the internet. Mm. Now, what I'm curious to see is if flights, if Delta's uh, ticket prices are going to increase at all. Because the reality is nothing is ever free. So it's a great perk, and you know, depending on the increase, it might be worth paying for. Uh, you sometimes you jump on aircraft, and Delta's Wi-Fi has been decently priced. But you have a four-hour flight transcon in the United States, and you have to pay twenty, thirty dollars for a Wi-Fi one time. So mm. it's not cheap, and it's definitely definitely an exciting piece of news coming from the Atlanta-based carrier.
0: Definitely, definitely. And I think it's interesting that they've linked it in that way to their loyalty program, because they're definitely saying like, you know, we want you to fly Delta, not just for this flight, but for all your flights and you'll get the benefits of SkyMiles. And if you've got SkyMiles, then we'll give you fast and free Wi-Fi. And I'm also interested to see if it is fast, because this has always been the real kind of sticking point for any airline offering free Wi-Fi is once you get everybody on board and they're, you know, multiple devising, you know, they've, They've got their laptop running a film. They're on their smartphone playing a game or messaging their friends. They've got their tablet doing something. It's a lot of intense consumption in a very small geographical area. And they've never managed to crack that nut. Um, so I'm really excited to see what Viasat has come up with and whether it works. Um, so, Yeah. Good for Delta. Um, but I just wanted to also mention that we've also had news this week that Air Baltic has signed up with Starlink um, and they're that's going right. to be offering um free Wi-Fi as well. And I, that's really exciting, actually, um, because the Starlink thing always said it was going to be for aviation. That's what it was designed for, was for mobility. Um, but as far as I know, they're the first airline to announce that they're going to be using it, and definitely the first to say that it's going to be completely free of charge. So um that's not coming from for a couple of years but it will be good to see if that works better or worse than the via option i guess
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes it will and it's interesting you mentioned speed that's actually something that i wanted to mention and i had com- forgotten to say most times when i jump on an aircraft i'll run a speed test just to see what's going on and it's really slow i've flown azul quite a few times here in brazil and uh their wi-fi is really fast it is free on the aircraft which have the equipment installed And usually, I'm getting download speeds of at least 70 megabits per second, which for those of you listening and don't know too much about internet speeds, that's more than enough to stream. These days, I think they say that in order to stream a movie, you want to have internet speeds of about 25 to 30 megabits per second. And I've actually live streamed on Instagram a couple of times in flight with Azul's Wi-Fi. So here's to hoping that Deltas and then in the future, Air Baltic and whatever airlines choose to continue getting satellite uh, provided Wi-Fi. Here's to hoping that it's going to be fast. And so customers can truly reap the benefits of it.
0: Definitely, definitely. That is all Wi-Fi is even faster than what I used to get at my home until we finally got um, fiber optics to the house in, down here in Cornwall. Um, anyway, beside the point, but that's that's awesome. And um, yeah, excited to see what happens. So onto some kind of breaking news, I guess. Um, we're recording this on Wednesday. And this morning, if you've got anything to do with aviation in the US, you will know exactly what I'm about to tell you about because the US Tam system has completely fallen over For the first time in memorable history, Um, you know, it's had some glitches in the past, but this is the first complete failure that we've seen of the system. Um, If you don't know what the NOTAM system is, it's like, it's a service that basically relays essential information to flights. Um, It's used as kind of a last minute uh, relay service. So it might tell pilots about things like um, volcanic activity, weather events, airspace restrictions, um, as well as unusual things in their area, like parachute jumps, rocket launch, military exercises. Um, and it's kind of seen as the linchpin of flight safety. Um, all over the world it's used, but this is the FAA system that has actually fallen over. And it went down late UK time last night, um, kind of early evening, your time, I guess, Lucas. Um, And so far, there's been a lot of press saying all flights in the US are grounded. That's not true, because if you go on flight radar, you will see that there are a bunch of flights actually happening. Um, So, the they, FAA first notified at uh, 2028 Zulu, which is UTC, um, that their technicians were working to restore the system, but there was no estimated time for the resolution. Um, a further update around 11 o'clock UTC today, they said that the outage was continuing. Um, there was still no estimated time of restoration and that they'd activated a hotline. Um, a bit later on than that, about another hour and a half later, they said that they'd, they were going to issue a ground stop Um, This is just for departing flights on domestic services. and this is going to run until 9 a.m. Eastern time to allow the agency to validate the integrity of flight and safety information. So there are some flights affected. People uh, on Twitter saying that they've been held for several hours pending resolution. Uh, there was somebody called Taylor Brasher that said they were uh, up to the three hour mark of sitting on a grounded red eye, red eye flight from LAX. Oh. Uh, there was another guy who said he was stuck in Honolulu. He'd been there for four hours waiting to hear if the no-time system was fixed. Um so it's not a full ground stop it's it's not the whole US and it's not kind of you know it's not um going to be prolonged. This is just a very temporary thing. And we're hoping that, you know, maybe even before the end of the podcast, they will announce that it is fixed. But there is going to be some fallout from this. Um, In a tweet about half an hour ago, US Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre stated that the president has been informed by uh, Transport Secretary Pete Buttigieg and that there is no evidence of a cyber attack at this point. However, the Department of Transportation will launch a full investigation and the FAA continues to provide regular updates. So I think, you know, the impact of flights is probably not as bad as maybe Winter Storm Elliott, for example, but it's still very disruptive and there is going to be a lot of digging done afterwards to find out what caused the system to fail over and what they can do to prevent it again in the future, I guess. Um, So I'm just refreshing the FAA's (laughs) Twitter page right now to see if there's another update um, that I can give you guys. Uh, so the latest update says that it's making progress in restoring its NOTAM system following the overnight outage. Departures are resuming at um, EWR and ATL due to air traffic congestion in those areas. And they expect departures at other airports to resume at 9am. That's not very long from now. So hopefully they're getting up to speed. But uh, Lucas, I'm sure you've got some thoughts on flight disruptions in the USA. It's just been a, a headache for like a solid month now, hasn't it?
1: it- really just seems like the U.S. cannot catch a break. Uh, <laughs> I just woke up to the news this morning of the, the the grounding, and it just made me think back to Christmas week uh, a couple of days before and then the week following and all of the flight disruptions that occurred in the United States due to winter storms and then supposedly uh, outdated technology from Southwest Airlines. This is something that has not been confirmed, but I should state that. Mm. Um, but so we went from massive winter meltdown to another storm battering the West Coast right now. And I haven't followed how uh too much the the number of cancellations this past week. but, and then now you've got the FAA grounding. Uh, the Southwest obviously has been in the headlines for the past couple of weeks. It seems like any type anytime I search for aviation news, Southwest Airlines is in the mix somehow. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And for for quite some time, it was the only thing that was in the mix. Everything is Southwest Airlines, Southwest Airlines, Southwest Airlines. Hopefully for their operation, things have started to smooth out right now. But this week, it was either early this week or late last week, they did publish uh, an unofficial report before they fully divulged their Q4 earnings from last year and finances And things don't don't look too good. Uh, The the report said that they're estimating a one billion yes with a B one billion dollar loss in Q four. Wow. And uh, they canceled almost seventeen thousand flights. There was a brief period really close to Christmas. I can't remember the exact one right now, but of about twenty four thousand flights that had been canceled in the United States more than 14,000 were just Southwest Airlines. They reached a point where they had canceled more than 70% of daily operations. And they've been working hard. I will give the airline credit for this. After their meltdown and after taking multiple days for CEO Bob Jordan to make a public statement and for the airline to take position on what they would be doing to take care of their customers, since then, they have done I mean, at least what they should do, especially with crackdown from the DOT, they did give out twenty five thousand rapid rewards points, or which are equivalent to miles, to all of customers impacted by some of their cancellations. Uh, that's about that's equivalent to about three hundred U.S. dollars, so yeah, it can get you a, a decent flight in the United States, especially being with Southwest low fares. They've been quickly processing refunds. Yesterday, I saw that they were taking, I believe it was about three days. The FA, the sorry, the DOT mandates that refunds be processed within seven, and Southwest has been working hard to process and process them within three. Uh, so the DOT has been cracking down on them, and then just a couple of days ago, the U.S. Senate's Committee for Commerce, Science, and Transportation added that they will also be cracking down on Southwest. So while we don't know exactly what the reason was for the uh, interruptions, I do feel for all of the frontline workers that have to deal with crazy passengers mistreating them because it's not their fault. And so if you're a a passenger flying uh, anytime this week or in the near future and you're listening to this, take some time when you're in the airport and just to thank the frontline personnel. They put up with so much and I think that they're not often enough. Uh, recognized and appreciated for what they do. And cancellations are they are never their fault, and yet they have to bear the brunt, the short end of the stick, and communicate it to passengers and, uh, and are very often mistreated. But on a bit more positive note, United Airlines, they celebrated a really strong start to 2023 and a strong ending to the year of 2022 as well. Uh, on the last 10 days of the year, they only canceled 5.3% of their flights. And uh, last week, one of their senior vice presidents in a memo to the staff, which was then shared uh, to journalists on United's media email, uh, they highlighted that between weather-impacted airports, they compared figures with seven other major United States airlines, and United had the highest number of flights at weather-impacted airports, and yet had one of the lowest cancellation rates. And then on January 1st through 5th, once again, had the highest number of flights at weather-impacted airports, yet only had a 1.3% cancellation rate. So they celebrated a strong start over at United, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how they continue that performance. Uh, Just going to throw one little random thing in here, and United earlier this week announced that they're bringing back their famous Sunday cart. So the internet (laughs) blew up over that. Plenty of people on Instagram, Twitter, just social media thrilled. I was on a United flight a few days ago, and I got an ice cream sundae, but it wasn't from the cart. And I honestly didn't even know that there was a cart pre-pandemic. <laughs> so it'll be curious on a United flight in the near future to see and experience that full cart. But that's what we've got on flight disruptions. Hopefully, the No no-time system uh, gets back online soon with no interruptions, mm. uh, no further interruptions, and uh, flights can get off the ground.
0: Absolutely. And I find it crazy, you know, being a European, we have such strong consumer protection here in Europe um, under what's called EU 261. So if your flight's cancelled or if it's delayed by a certain amount of time, you can just get money. You know, you you can just apply and you get credit, you know, not credit, not flight credit, you get actual money in your bank account, which is great. And I know Canada's adopted something similar, but for you guys in the US, there's just no protection, right? You're not, Uh, you don't get anything.
1: With the current administration, there has been a bit more crackdown, especially with that new dashboard that they launched around Labor Day, which was in early Mm. September of last year. But you're right, no, uh, airlines previously would cancel flights and not even rebook passengers on others. And Uh I'm not going to name names here, but there are certain low-cost carriers in the United States, which I refuse to fly. And it's not because, oh, I'll have to pay for a, a cup of water or I'll have to pay to select my seat. I refuse to fly because in the past, there were countless stories, and it would happen all the time, of a flight in Puerto Rico being canceled and the airline not bothering to reaccommodate passengers on a flight the same day or on another airline. So, yeah, consumer protection in the US when it comes to to aviation is not the best. I know that they are working hard to improve it and I sure hope they do.
0: Mm. Because,
1: yeah, Europe has set quite a good example. I mean, I don't know how well the system works, but I have seen multiple times, you know, if your flight's delayed by this much time, file a claim, get cash, all yeah. that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. I mean, it generally works quite well. You have to be patient. And I know it's a massive headache for airlines, but it does engender them to treat you nicely, to make sure you're accommodated and to operate as many flights on time as they possibly can, because they know that there's a financial penalty if they are exceptionally late. Um, So, yeah, let's hope that there's more in place for US citizens in the future and for um, other countries that don't have those protections. But I wanted to wrap up today by telling you about a new aircraft coming to NASA, which I'm excited about, but also really sad at the same time, because it's going to replace NASA's iconic DC-8, um, which has been operating for the, the administration for a long time. So, NASA took the DC-8 back in 1986 and has been using it as a flying science laboratory. Um, of course, it wasn't brand new when it went to NASA. In fact, it rolled out back in 1969, the same year we landed on the moon, um, and was flying with Alitalia for 10 years. And then it flew with Braniff for a few years um, and arrived with NASA as I say in 1986 it does kind of airborne experiments for a range of research purposes and and scientists pay around I think it's like six and a half thousand dollars per hour for a space oh. in the flying laboratory um, but it's done some really cool stuff it's it's acquired some really useful data but it is approaching 54 years old bless her heart um, she's one of very few DC-8s left flying in the in the world and I'll come to the others in a minute. Um, Of course, it's meticulously maintained by NASA. There's an awful lot of equipment on there. So they want to make sure this airplane can continue to fly. Um, But they do need a retirement pathway for this old jet. And they've gone for the Boeing 777. I mean, I can't imagine a more fitting replacement, really, if there's an airplane that kind of personifies um, doing cool stuff. The Boeing 777 has to be it. Um, But it's not a new Boeing 777, of course. Um, In line with the DC-8, the aircraft's already nearly 20 years old. It rolled off the production line in 2003 and was delivered originally to um, Japan Airlines They flew it under registration number JA704J from then right through until July 2020 when they retired it from service. Its last revenue flight was in from Sapporo to Tokyo back on May 29th, 2020. Um, So it kind of hung around at Tokyo's Haneda Airport for a little bit and then was ferried out to Victorville for storage on July the 1st. And it's kind of sat there resting its wings in the desert sunshine um, for a couple of years. Um, And it was December the 15th last year when the 777 took off for the first time since its retirement, um, it's now been given registration in n F- sorry, I'm tripping over my words terribly today. N774LG. Um, it's gone from Victorville all the way across the United States to Hampton in Virginia, which of course is home to Langley Air Force Base. Um, NASA has the Langley Research Center there, which is going to be taking the lead on doing all the necessary modifications to turn this 777 into a well. World- Worthy successor for the DC 8. Um, According to Scramble, which is the Dutch Aviation Society, NASA budget suggested that they are going to be spending 30 million to turn this 777 into their new flying laboratory. and it's going to take a long time too. Uh, but what's going to happen to the DC-8 is what we want to know. Well, I think, you know, it's all change at NASA because as we know, they recently sunsetted the Boeing 747SP we know as Sophia, the Stratospheric Observatory for Infrared Astronomy, to give her her full title. Um, Sophia hasn't been stuck in a desert somewhere. She has found a new home at Arizona's Pima Air and Space Museum. Um, so with the DC-8 also set for retirement, I do hope that they will look to an aviation museum to house this iconic jet because there's not many of them left flying. In fact, um, I was looking at CH Aviation data and there are just three airplanes of the DC-8 family listed as being in active service today. Um, The other two, apart from the NASA one, are with Transair Cargo. Um, There are another two in maintenance right now, suggesting they may come back and fly again. One of them is with Skybus Cargo Charters and the other one is with that kind of funny (laughs) humanitarian organisation, Samaritan's Purse, who uh, I find fascinating to read about. Um, but it will be a sad day when the DC-8 finally leaves NASA's care. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen imminently because the modifications and the testing of the 777 could take months, possibly even years. So, you know, if you're in the vicinity of NASA's research bases, you'll probably still see the DC-8 around for some time to come. Um, but its successor is lined up and I think she's
1: going to be awesome too. I know you mentioned it could take months or years, and it will be interesting to see how long the retro, I don't know if retrofit is the right word, but just installation and in, uh, of new equipment on the 777 will take uh, and before we see that in the sky. I honestly was not even aware that NASA had a DC-8 flying around that was a lab. Uh, <laughs> uh, I knew that NASA had Sophia. Obviously, yes. that's something that has been in the news a lot recently. So it'll be interesting to educate myself a little bit more on this and see what continues to happen. And... Yeah, I'm very curious to see where the DC-8 will end up. Definitely. Uh, I will. Now that Sophia's out at Pima, I've been wanting to go to Pima for quite some time. I've driven by it a few times. My family used to live out in Arizona and uh, never visited. And it's beautiful. For those of you listening, if you've never seen it, it's miles long and wide. And you just drive on the road parallel to it and you see fighter aircraft just you look around and I don't even know what the fighter aircraft are, but you just see hundreds of them of all the same aircraft. And I don't know <laughs> if it's true or not, but I've been told that with those, a lot of them, though they are older, they are able to fly. Oh! And should the U.S. ever have to go to war and need some reserve aircraft, some of those can be pulled out from Pima and be put into service.
0: Oh, that's pretty interesting. So,
1: yeah, very interesting. I don't know if that's true. I don't remember who told me, but... <laughs> Take that with a grain of salt, if you will.
0: <laughs> I'd love to come over to Arizona and see the the big graveyard in the museum. Maybe, maybe one day, maybe I'll put that on my list for my holidays soon. Um, but yeah, um, I'm slightly obsessed with uh, flying test beds. I went on the... Um, uh, Honeywell 757 when I was in, in Dubai last year and uh, that's a very cool aircraft as well. So yeah, slightly obsessed with these old aircraft being kept as science research vessels but uh, I'm sure the, the 777 will take the place of the DC-8 nicely anyway. Absolutely. Well, Thank you, Lucas, so much for joining us today. It's been lovely to chat with you. Um, I think that's about all we've got time for on today's podcast. And we hope the listeners enjoyed it. As usual, we welcome your feedback at podcast at simpleflying.com.
1: And for more great content, you can always visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media. Simply search for Simple Flying.
0: If you enjoyed the podcast, please do leave us a rating on your favorite podcast player. And thanks for listening.